Like, where does that come from, honestly? Sources. <laughs> <laughs> The, the um, pillows are all made of cement in the AL East. <laughs> yeah. It was the first night of Hanukkah when Ryu was signed. You know, it's like Geld giving out money is, the, is part of the Jewish thing. The, Mark Shapiro was Jewish, so he just gave it to Yunjin Ryu. And welcome to episode number 163 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we've got Nick Dyka working for store credit. I'm your host, <laughs> Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, of course, by Nick Dyka, as I just mentioned. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Seems like forever since we've had you on. <clears throat> um, twice in a month. I'm liking this. All right. And of course, the uh, immortal Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? <laughs> I don't really want immortality, but it's going pretty good right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we're here because uh, stuff happened, and we decided that that Travis Shaw and uh, Yamaguchi were enough stuff. And then, then before we could actually all get into uh, into podcast mode, the Blue Jays dropped the bomb of signing Hyunjin Ryu to a four year, eighty million dollar contract. Which is probably, at this point, I would think the best Christmas present that the Blue Jay fan base could ask for. Don't you, Nick? Yeah, it was definitely something that felt like needed to happen, given the mood, uh, at least among a large percentage of Blue Jays fans. I think uh, a lot of people are starting to get a little restless and feel like the front office just wasn't willing to spend money. And, you know... We had heard now for the the better part of the last two months that they were trying and close on things and making offers, and it looks like uh, it looks like they they were telling the truth, and they ended up landing Ryu. So, Josh, you said several times, "Hey, he's a Boras client. He's going to go where there is the most money." Um, I I would assume that 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 thought is still first and foremost in your mind that the Blue Jays really did offer the most money in this case. Oh yeah. I, I definitely think that's the case. Uh, or, I mean, okay, I should clear that up. It's very possible there were teams he just straight up did not want to go to. But usually when that's the case, the Jays are not one of them. <laughs> although although I, I, I had heard that for him, like a decent Korean population was actually something important, and Toronto does have some of that. So that might have outweighed that. But I, it seemed like the Jays going to four years was what got it done. And... If that's the case, then yeah, it's this is standard Boras. He took the biggest deal. And if you look at the contracts that have gone out this offseason, Cole, Rendon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Boras ones. Cole, Rendon, Strasburg, Moustakas. They all just went to the high bidder. And this is no different. I think that given kind of the way the pitching market had gone, I was surprised to see Ryu only get to 80 million. I mean, when you look at Ryu at four years and 80 million versus Wheeler at 120. And just the the state of some of the other contending teams out there, like I'm very surprised a team like the Angels didn't go higher um, if this was indeed the high bid. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, you and I had different expectations on where his salary was going to go. We sort of discussed that on last week's episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I never thought he would get to 100, but I didn't think it would. I thought it would still be maybe four years, 90 million, somewhere in that range. But And look, what did, didn't Keiko sign for near 60? 
three years, 57, I believe is. Yeah. And, you know, Keiko was the next guy down, but yeah, I, I I think with Ryu, it's just unlike Zach Wheeler, he hasn't been healthy for two years straight and he's 33. So like, if you asked me at the beginning of season, if Hyunjin Ryu was going to get four years, 80 million, I would say there was no chance. That's true. But given this market, I think it's pretty reasonable. Well, clearly the market has been all pitching up to this point. Um, so I think we have a, like, if, if we're slotting guys in, like, to get to this point, the, the average annual value of what Ryu got makes sense. Because he's, yeah. you know, above above the, the less skilled or less proven guys and below those who are um, obviously, you know, like, like Cole, who are a way bigger get for the team that gets them. Um, right. I was... I was talking to to my brother-in-law about it earlier, and I think to put it in this kind of context is helpful. I think if you were to sit down and map it out, Ryu would still be the ace on close to half the teams in baseball if they were to sign sign him. So when he's on the mound, he really is uh, an elite pitcher. It's just a question of can he stay on the mound and how do his skills translate into kind of his middle age uh, years as a baseball player. Yeah, and you know, taking the second part of that first, because you know his injury history is well documented, and you know his his conditioning has been up and down. I mean, he's not in the best shape, and he has had a lot of leg issues and groin issues, and in addition to his shoulder surgeries. But in terms of the skills, as someone who doesn't rely on extreme velocity, but more so on just really really good command of five pitches, it does seem like his stuff. And his ability to get outs when he's on the mound will age pretty well. I'm going to be straight up honest. I've I've missed the presence of a pitcher with command on the Blue Jays roster. Have Have you guys not? <laughs> <laughs> like it feels like it's been a long time, and, and I you know I don't want to bring up Roberto Osuna a lot, but that that was the last time I I felt there was a guy who could you know, outing after outing, reliably put the baseball exactly where he wanted to. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of that lacking, not that necessarily Ryu's going to teach anybody but that, but, but if you can get, you know, a hundred or 150 innings of consistent performance out of him, that alone, um, is a lot less stressful on, on the offense and on the rest of the team. Um, you know, knowing what you're going to get day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, the guys that throw strikes tend to make things a lot easier. And as you said, the Jays haven't had much of that. Giles actually did a pretty good job of it. But, you know, like Osuna, he was a closer. So having a starter that can, you know, can go deep in games. Ryu went seven innings and in, I think it was a third of his starts last year, which is you know, for modern usage, that's crazy. It, so, I mean, look, look we've talked about Hyunjin Ryu, what, <laughs> 20 <laughs> times yep. since the offseason ended? So I think that, you know, the stance on what he is and what he brings is clear. But uh, I think that something needs to be mentioned, too, is like you, you sort of alluded to this, Nick, with the, uh, you know, the way that Jays fans were reacting. But this is like a very clear signal that it's the Jays are out of this rebuild and they are starting the build towards being a contender very quickly. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what we wanted to hear and exactly what we needed to hear right so this is this is the best possible way to announce that 
not with a speech or, or anything else. They, they literally put their money where their mouth was with this signing. Yeah. You hear about like, oh, we went after this guy, went after that guy. It's like, okay, like how, how much did you really do it? It's like, no, no, no. Now we know. It's like they off, they went after Hyunjin Relude. You have four years, $80 million worth. And they got him. Yeah, so the Blue Jays have gone from the skeleton crew to actually looking like something that maybe is a rotation. Um, is this the point at which we start to talk about Yamaguchi? Well, uh, Nick, did you have anything you wanted to say more about Ryu before we move on? No, yeah, I just think that, like you guys were saying, it, it's it's really felt like there's been a shift in kind of the the mood of Blue Jays fans since the signing was announced. I know it was only literally... 18 hours ago but um i think it's really respun how everybody's felt about like the off season and the front office and i think there's going to be a lot of excitement that wasn't there 24 hours ago sorry just as an aside the first article i pulled up for this signing was posted at 3 18 in the morning how often does that happen <laughs> well i think it was gregor chisholm <laughs> was talking about this all of the Jays' recent moves happened at night. <laughs> so so <laughs> the recent, the big ones, like the Tulo trade and the Martin signing or something, you know, he, he was listing a few of them. I can't remember which they were. And it's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess we, we nobody nobody sleeps on this front office. Aha. Aha. Okay. Uh, Yamaguchi uh, was prior to, of course, Ryu, as, as I alluded to earlier. Um, what do we know about him, Josh? So Shun Yamaguchi is, uh, you know, he, he's come over from Japan. The Jays signed him for two years, four million, I believe the deal was, which you know tells you a little bit about what the expectations are of him in, you know, like <laughs> in Major League Baseball. I mean, that's not a big contract, obviously, but the interesting thing about Shun Yamaguchi is that he's been really, really good. His last couple of years in Japan. Uh, so I'm just I've got his stats up here. In the, la- in the last last year, he had a 2.78 ERA with 194 strikeouts and 181 innings. And the year before that, it was 3.68, but 150 strikeouts, 156 innings. So he's been a, a good strikeout pitcher. And more importantly to the Blue Jays, though, he has experience as a closer and a back end of their bullpen pitcher who also can start. And given all of these options for the last spot in their rotation behind Ryu, Rorick, Anderson, and Shoemaker, I think having a guy like this who has shown the ability to do both jobs is particularly important. So now I only read uh, briefly on him when he was signed, but it's interesting to note that uh, he's kind of low mileage for his age in a way because he started as a reliever and eventually a closer and then transitioned to the rotation in Japan, which is something, obviously, you don't hear about here very often at all. Usually people, guys, when they can't hack in the rotation, transition to the bullpen. Um, so he's older, but those first few years, he didn't actually rack up a ton of innings relative to what a starter would have. Yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike's son might disagree with the idea that that's so much better because of the fatigue units for relievers and such like that. But in general, yeah, just straight up innings thrown in mileage, <clears throat> he doesn't have as much. Now, he has had his own injury problems. Uh, I believe he was, he had Tommy John or something like that in 2017. So he's he's had some problems, but he's healthy now. And, you know, he throws like low 90s, but he's a fork baller and they're always fun. <laughs> Don't say that too fast or I'm going to have to edit you. 
<laughs> so the the third and uh you know the the more interesting wrinkle signing perhaps was Travis Shaw who uh has been a third baseman but the Blue Jays more or less announced that the, the plan was to play him every day at first base uh to get the bulk well, they, of the they, innings over there. They didn't announce that. That was no. sort of reported that that was the plan but who reports things that are just sort of out there? Like where does that come from, honestly? Sources. <laughs> <laughs> or well, thanks, JD Mills, he was the first guy who did it and it's like you know his sources are his mind i mean <laughs> well it doesn't seem like he's going to take third base innings away from vlad though not a ton of them would it or, or are we moving vlad to first base already i would assume that vlad's going to get a chance to be the everyday third baseman um and that Shaw would play first. But it is worth noting that I think Shaw has been a fairly good defensive third baseman uh, over his career. Well, and also I think that part of the value with Travis Shaw is that, one, his father was an all-star in the major leagues, and therefore they've completed their (laughs) all-star son's infield. (laughs) But more accurately, or more of value, is that he can play third and can play second. So... He can move around the diamond if they want to give Vlad a day at DH or they want to give Kevin Biggio a day at DH. Shaw can shift around and then someone else, whether it's Rowdy Tellez or Billy McKinney or Edwin Encarnacion, if they actually do still sign him. We don't really know, you know, based on the rumors, what's happening with that pursuit. You know, Encarnacion's father just died, which obviously we feel very, very sorry for his family. So he didn't he's not doing anything at the moment. You know, if they got him DH, he could play first when Shaw played third or anything like that. So I think his versatility does come into play, even though Vlad is the third baseman. Right. Um, now, the inter- interesting thing to me about Shaw was he, he was a pretty consistent player for uh, two, three years where, he, you know, three to four wins. He he was, uh, as, as Nick alluded to, he was he was a positive value defensively. He hit a, a de- for decent power and and last year he did none of that he was absolutely awful um any idea like i i didn't see any talk of injury i just heard disaster campaign any idea where the real travis shaw lies i mean when when he's going right he looks a lot like justin smoke to me in terms of that he can walk, he's not going to hit 300, um, you know, but he's typically not going to hit 220 either. Um, and the interesting thing about last year was, I think when he did get sent down, he was just like, he tore up the minor leagues. Sure um, did. And so it, it's kind of, it's kind of strange to think of something, someone, you know, who was 28 last year, excuse me, 29 last year, just fall off a cliff like that. Cause he was quite good in, 2017 and 2018 um and i think the jays are smart to to take a shot on this player because there there doesn't seem to be uh a ready explanation as to why he struggled so much yeah and more specifically one of the problems with shaw last year which has never been a problem before which is why the smoke comparison is good but not perfect is shaw never struck out a ton that's true yeah um you know, he struck 138 times in 606 plate appearances in 2017, but that's his high, where, you know, which for the modern game, that's not that bad. But uh, but last year, he had 89 strikeouts in 86 games, and that was just 
very unheard of for him. Went down to the minors, and then he had 37 strikeouts and 36 walks, which was, you know, again, it's the minors, it's AAA, but like that was far more along the lines of what people have come to expect of him. So it's hard to say what happened. I mean, obviously nobody really knows, but it's, as you suggested, it seems like it's a really good bet to try to see if he can get it back for 4 million bucks. Well, yeah. And and sorry, just not only that, that he's still arbitration eligible after this year. So if he does return to being a very good player, they get to keep him. Yeah, I mean, we, we people toss around buy low names all the time, and I think Travis Shaw is is a great buy low name in terms of it's not like you're pointing at a, an injury that he's trying to come back from or anything. You're just you're pointing to a slump, and you know there's there's no reason to believe that he he can't come back. It's just it is weird to to look at his numbers in the majors and you just kind of scratch your head because everything last year just seems like so far off from his career averages. Yeah, but that that minor league stretch that Nick alluded to, where he hit two eighty six with a four thirty seven on base and a five eighty six slugging, which is <laughs> stupid numbers. But I think if he had gone down to the minors and then still struggled, it would have been like okay, something has disappeared. Or, but he went down and he had time, and then he sort of righted the ship. Now that said, when he came back up to the big leagues, he was still terrible so <laughs> but but he wasn't getting consistent playing time by that point and i think that you know when you're coming back up that kind of hurts you so it's very low risk if he's good great if not so be it i think one thing to note too is he walks and that's something that a lot of blue jays hitters don't do like for reference even in shaw's lost 2019 season his on-base percentage was one point higher than randall gritchick's and shaw hit 157 you know so so i think i think having a player with some on base upside is going to be really helpful to a blue jays lineup that does have you know a lot of guys that seem to strike out north of 25 percent of the time yeah for sure Um, now he doesn't hit lefties so a platoon partner for him would still be a very good thing to have there's still time um but it does you know sort of Get us to the point now uh, that they've added a significant number of players since we started this discussion of uh, what do the Blue Jays need and what do they look like now as a team? Obviously, they're not, you know, World Series bound because they've signed these people. But does this uh, clarify where they're at and what they need to do this season instead of the, the next couple of seasons, Nick? Yeah, I think in terms of what they need to do from here is I think another kind of hard throwing back of the bullpen type arm would be ideal. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of hopeful that Jordan Romano could maybe turn into that. Last year was his first season in the bullpen and he's definitely got bat missing ability. But aside from Ken Giles, they don't have a lot of people that you feel comfortable putting into a high leverage situation. You know, I think Blake Trinan would have been a, an excellent pitcher to go after, but um, I think somebody in that mold uh, would, would really kind of help solidify this Blue Jays team as it is now. What other yeah, pits do you think they need, Josh? Well, I mean, speaking in that mold, I'd love to see them take a chance on Deline Batanzas. Yes. But he's apparently looking for a one-year pillow contract and 
people don't come to the AL East for pillow contracts <laughs> as pitchers. The, the um, pillows are all made of cement in the AL East. <laughs> yeah. But there are still some decent relievers out there, so they definitely should use that. But I think that more specifically, so you know, just like let's do a quick rundown of what they've acquired. You know, they've gotten four pitchers, if you include Matt Shoemaker, four starters, if you include Shoemaker, five pitchers, if you with Yamaguchi included, and Travis Shaw. So, but this, what this does is it sort of clarifies, okay, well, here are the area of needs. They need a center fielder. They need another DH or first baseman because, in my opinion, Rowdy Telez is not that, and he can still be optioned to go down and do well in Buffalo. And then the bullpen. <laughs> What's your job? But, your job's to do well in Buffalo. See ya. <laughs> well, I think that should be the case. But, it, you know, it makes it to, like we couldn't even have thought about that stuff until they got Ryu because now that they have Ryu, you could say, go get Edwin. You know, even if it's a one year deal, he can go, he can, he can let Telez work more in the minors and then help bring them to another level of contention. You know, they're not going to contend. They're not, they just, too many things would have to go right. But if they, you know, go from 67 wins to 80 wins or 81 or 82 wins, I think that has a lot of help in what they need to do next year, which is pull in another good pitcher and some long-term pieces in center field or first base or whatever. And I think that, you know, we've seen that winning helps that. Yeah, and it, it would certainly encourage anyone looking to sign here or or them, you know, if they, if they go to 80 wins, then making that trade to give up a couple of assets to get up to, you know, 85 wins or 89 wins or, or wherever it puts them, you know, um, I think is easier. It's easier to know how much you're going to need to trade away to make the improvement. Uh, but yeah, they definitely have to see something more than just incremental here. You, you need to see a big jump for that big investment you made in, in Ryu. With everything around it. I don't mean specifically Ryu's going to bring them 10 wins. <laughs> nice. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> Everyone thinks it would be nice. <laughs> All right. So anything else you wanted to say about the state of the, the franchise, Josh, before we move on? Well, I, I just think they're, they're what I've been saying the whole time, essentially. It's like they need to go get a guy now. And because next year the pickings are slim and they would, if you need to get two guys from that, it'd be really, really hard. And they did, they went and got the guy, they got reused. Now, if they want to go get Paxton or Robbie Ray, or for some crazy world, bring Marcus Stroman back, they're positioned to do it. And that's pretty good. And Nick, any other go trade for Mookie Betts? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one thing I think the reuse signing means is in terms of, acquiring players via trade i think the front office's willingness to go out and pay Ryu kind of symbolizes that they're probably willing to go out and maybe trade prospects or people on the roster to bring in the right player too and that's exciting uh too not that you know not that they're necessarily close on anything or you know i know i've been kind of banging the drum for you darvish but i think i think this this kind of suggests to us that the front office is looking to improve and is willing to kind of take the risk to do it, whether it's putting money on the table or trading years of control, stuff like that, that, you know, was the kind of the main thing that the front office seemed to value literally up to two days ago. Indeed. So 
We asked you for questions, as we always do, and apparently the sleeping giant that is the Blue Jays fan base was awakened by the <laughs> Ryu signing, because we're going to come back with a million questions after this break uh, and try and sift through them all. We'll be right back. Hey there, we're back from our much-deserved break. Are you gentlemen feeling refreshed? Very. Good, good, because there's a lot that's going to happen after I play this uh, question stinger. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Okay, so... Uh, rather than read off all of the questions that have an extremely similar theme, we had question from Matt Sweeby and from Baseball Her and uh, from uh, the, the, at the Mox Ball uh, and uh, Brian Donnelly 8, all asking about former Blue Jay, one-time Blue Jay, David freaking Price and whether or not that's a thing. And this kind of, this was reported by Ken Rosenthal, so it's it's not nothing. Uh but essentially, would you have him, Josh? And I think last week you alluded to the fact that the Red Sox would have to pay the Blue Jays to take him. Is that still the case? Oh, yeah. It's absolutely <laughs> the case. <laughs> there is no scenario in which David Price goes to a team. His contract has negative value. He's owed $96 million over the next three years. He's been declining a little bit, and he's been and he was hurt last year. So... Basically, they would have to pay a team a significant chunk to take Price off and even bigger chunk to get something in return for David Price, even with the way the market has gone. Uh, now, I would still happily do that. Like, if the, if the Rays would pay his $96 million down to $60 million or $55 million, I, I would throw in a B prospect and have him second Ryu in the rotation. I think, you, I think you just said the Rays. Did I? Yeah. I won't oh, rewind well, that right now, but you probably mean the Red Sox, unless you got I traded when I was, Sox, yes. was watching, which <laughs> is possible with how I've been paying attention. Uh, would you do a different deal for David Price, uh, Nick? No, I think I'm in kind of the same ballpark as Josh in terms of what I think would work best for the Jays. I, I think one thing that's completely not realistic that I keep seeing getting thrown around is having them throw in Andrew Benintendi. Andrew Benintendi is a he was a first round pick. He was one of the best prospects in baseball, and he's already had a bunch of seasons where he's been a very valuable contributor uh, at the major league level. The Red Sox aren't trading him. They're they're it doesn't matter if David Price had 150 million left on his contract. I just don't see them getting rid of Benintendi. So I think I think if something's going to happen, it's going to look like what Josh said, where they're going to be kicking in a bunch of money and they're, Toronto's not giving up anything other than like a kind of B-level, mid-tier prospect. All right. Our next question is from Jeff Goldenberg. He has a couple of them. Uh, the first one is, how about Hap and prospects from the New York Yankees? How about it? I say... No. How about no? How about I don't want anything else to do with J-Hap? Anybody, anybody want anything to do with J-Hap at this point? He's 37. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it, 
just life comes at you fast when you're a major league pitcher, even one as good and as crafty as Hap. Yeah, I don't, he, I don't think was, so. He was better in the second half, but there'd have to be some pretty good prospects to be willing to help out the Yankees get under the luxury tax by a larger amount to get a guy who may not be better than any of the ones that they have in camp. So no, I don't I don't think especially with only one year left on his deal, I don't think there's anything you could get from the Yankees that would be a value. So no, I don't think there's any point in looking at a reunion there. So Mr. Goldenberg uh, is quick to realize that's probably what we're going to say because his follow-up question was, could Pearson break camp with the team as a starter? Super hard-throwing Nate Pearson. Would you like to see him already in this rotation, Josh? Oh, hell yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But we won't. I mean, there's very good reasons not to. He's thrown very few innings as a professional thanks to getting that ball off his arm that broke his arm. And, you know, last year they were being very careful with him, but he did make it to AAA. And, you know, the, the, basically the precedent here is like what happened with Chris Paddock last year at the Padres. They just stuck him in the bigs after he wasn't that ready and the stuff played up and he was great. Oh, but I think the Jays would have to fill a bunch of other holes to be like, let's go for it now and bring up May Pearson. Otherwise, just, you know, let him stay in the minors for a couple months. Well, the Padres have been doing let's go for it now, it seems like every other year for the past four years. And I'm still <laughs> waiting for the Padres to get somewhere. <laughs> just say it um any other thoughts on that uh nick or are you are you in a i know i really like i really like the paddock comparison and um yeah you know depending on what happens in the the next eight weeks th- there might be a situation where it does seem enticing to to have him break camp with the team and i think last year we saw we saw a bunch of teams do that with their prospects i know it was alonzo with the mets Paddock with the Padres, Tatis, um, Tatis, yeah, with the Padres, and I think you know, I think it's if he shows he can, he can cut it in the big leagues. I think he should be up all year, and I mean, we don't need to get into the discussion of manipulating service time and all that, but I think, I, I mean, aside from Ryu, who who is Pearson not better than in the the Jays rotation right now? Well, if Pearson is what people think he is, then nobody. <laughs> yeah, we shall see. Okay, so we're going to get philosophical now. A lot of our questions are like immediate bang-bang kind of stuff, but L at L-E-L-A Hart asks us, if you were in control and decided to win by cheating, what would be your method, and how would you avoid getting caught, Josh? Well, you're giving this one to me first. Sure. Ooh, this is, this is a tough one. How would I avoid getting caught? Well, first of I all, what, you... what's your cheating method? Are you, are you, are you sign-stealing, or are you doing something else? Well, I think sign sealing is the easiest way if you have the getting caught thing thrown in with there, because otherwise it would just be doctoring the baseballs in all kinds of crazy ways. I do like the old school, like the the twins would blow the air conditioning in different directions, whether their team was hitting or not. I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) So that's like, that's a strong contender, especially because they play in a dome. But uh, I think it would be like having some kind of, you know, touch sen- sensor on the, on the, on the players. So it's like you could tap something and then you would know how many, like that'd be the advanced sign stealing. I think I'd go with that. Uh, Nick, do you have a, a cheating method that you prefer? Well, as, as someone who's not as kind of like in tune with the kind of mechanizations of baseball as Josh is, I'm just going to go with bribing because <laughs> money, so the old expression is money talks. <laughs> you get yourself you get yourself into a problem you can try to like you know double down bribe someone else you can you know just expand your circle of bribery as things become more complicated or dangerous uh, so I, i'm gonna go with that 
Yeah. Hired goons. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I would uh, take advantage of the turf stadium and underneath the turf, I would place mechanized surfaces uh, with uneven um, spots on them that would uh, wreak havoc with the opposing team's fielding. And then I just flatten everything <laughs> out when my team came up. I think you could you sure. could subtly do that between innings and uh, and just ruin everybody's everybody's defensive abilities because we've seen it we've seen enough weird bounces and no one's ever questioned it so I think you just ride with that. <laughs> I like it. I think we do it all, <laughs> and then when you get caught for one thing, you keep doing the other two. <sighs> Little things that that come up from the dirt when the other team's rounding the bag, so they stumble and you can tag them out. Yeah, yeah, just like a <laughs> like like. Uh, like sand thrown in people's faces, but from the field. Moving I on. Hope the high, I hope the high performance department is listening to this. <laughs> Moving on. Ben Tusim uh, at B Tusim asks Assuming Tehran would have accepted, would you not have rather had Tehran for two years 24 over Roark? Uh, do you have a preference? Nick. Nick? Oh, yeah. I. I don't understand. I was so surprised when Tehran signed for one year and nine million. Um, I know that his stuff seems pretty pedestrian and everybody's always asking, how does he get this done? But he keeps getting it done. I think, you know, he's outpitched his FIP every year of his career um, and he's always had ERAs under four. I don't know how he's doing it, but he's doing it. And I think at this point, to bet against him, especially when you're, again, betting on a couple years and $20 million. I would definitely uh, take that bet. Josh, would you yeah. prefer him? I totally agree. I have no idea why he only got a one-year deal. It's not like he's a guy who's coming off a down year and needs to rebuild value. He's been the exact same pitcher for five years. He's 29, too. Yeah, right. So I don't I don't get it, and uh, I'm with Nick. Okay. I'm not going to buck, uh, buck the trend there. Uh, okay. Brian at BJ Arsenal uh, asks, to keep with the Xmas theme of my recent questions, do you guys have any Xmas traditions? I would like to I I refine that. Do you have any extra Xmas traditions that would surprise us? Um Josh. Uh well, my family is also Jewish, so <laughs> that's surprising. If you have a Christmas tradition for me that isn't having Chinese food, I would be surprised. <laughs> no, no, but my dad is Christian, so we do both. Oh dear. Okay. So that is the, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm legitimately uh was unaware of that. Yeah, and Andy, so you asked a question about the spelling of Hanukkah but you got a good answer in the thread so those are actually good correct so just read the question we're not going to go too deep into religious pronunciations and things like that but uh yeah so like we do our Hanukkah candles if they're you know, we light the menorah and say the, th- the the prayer and all that speaking of which by the way it was the first night of Hanukkah when Ryu signed and it's like Geld giving out money is the is part of the Jewish thing the J- Mark Shapiro was Jewish so he just gave it to Yunjin Ryu it was a Hanukkah present. <laughs> it wasn't a Christmas present at all. We've made a horrible mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> but and then on Christmas we we read like you know twas the night before or the night before Christmas and you know do our stocking. So not not very special there. Nick. Um. Well, recently it was complaining about the Blue Jays not signing anybody, but that's obviously changed this year. Um. <laughs> actually, yeah. There was. Uh, my family used to watch Dumb and Dumber every year, which is probably an unconventional Christmas tradition. I think it was probably was the only movie that could uh, make my father laugh. So that's probably why we did it. That that is kind of an offbeat Christmas movie choice. Does any part of that <laughs> movie occur at Christmas? I'm sorry, I'm not a, a Jim no. Carrey fan. Yeah. No, but. Uh, Jim Carrey's character is named Lloyd Christmas. Yeah. But that's a 
Nothing, nothing Christmassy about it. Beyond my that. wife and I have started watching Arthur Christmas because it's great. Uh, I would say, I, I don't know if I have a, a specific Christmas tradition, but um, I recommend the Muppets Family Christmas to anyone who is looking for an unusual and strange and fun uh, Christmas special um, that does not fit the Hallmark mold whatsoever. And I would like to stay as far away from the Hallmark movie mold as possible because I've seen enough. Thank you. Uh, Noel Moxon, we already did that question. Moving on to... Although it's an interesting one. Can you just ask whether we'd rather have Price or Ryu and why? Uh, I would rather have Ryu because I didn't have to give up anything other than money to get him. And also, he's just been better lately. Also. (laughs) And equally healthy. Yeah. And would probably cost less in terms of money than, than Price. We're we're really in on Ryu, I think. Uh, the Abominable Simon at Trillimo Pena. We're keeping Giles now, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> at least for, for quite a few I don't months. I think so. <laughs> It'd be really weird if they signed Ryu and then went out and traded Giles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the wheels are falling off in August, I still think you could... It, Giles is... Another year of control, or is it just this year? No, it's free agent at the end of the year. Oh, free agent at the end of the year. So, yeah, we're keeping him till at least late July. We'll see what else happens. Yeah. Uh, Bluebird Faithful at BlueJ21125753. I'm glad that wasn't computer generated. Uh, says, <laughs> I bet all caps, I bet you're glad you waited the extra day. Ryu. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> you're absolutely right. <laughs> Luke the Eevee Whisperer. Where, where do these... Okay. At split letters, on a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised are you that they actually signed Ryu? Josh, your surprise... No, let, Nick, let Nick go first. Okay, Nick, what is your surprise scale? I, I was pretty surprised. I'd give it like a 7. Um, and that's just because there were so few good pitchers left on the market and so many teams near contention that seemed to have holes in their rotations. I know I mentioned it off the top. I'm surprised a team like the Angels didn't go higher in terms of money. Or or the twins or someone like that. Um, so yeah, I'm very surprised. Josh, five maybe six. I I, I was actually more, I'm one of the more optimistic people I think on this front. But you know, like he seemed like a guy that made a ton of sense, and I didn't think the front office was stupid. So <laughs> I thought that they would actually go for him, and it, and because as we mentioned, Boras. It's like just take, just pay the guy, and you can get him. And they had the the means to do it, and they did. So, yeah, I'm I not, think like, I, I'm not. It's, it's not a one, but it's, it's not a eight or a nine either. I, I am in the four or five range as well, where it was like it, it it is it is the only option, especially you know watching a couple of other names come off the board in the, in the past week, going okay, well if it's if it's not Ryu, it's probably nobody. And I didn't see this team signing absolutely nobody. So there you go. Uh, Ewan Ross um, asks, where does Ryu rank among all modern Blue Jay free agent signings? And then when you asked him in the 21st century, um, and he was asking uh, more or less the quality of the player when signed was his primary, you know, sort of measuring stick. So, Josh, is is this the best player the Blue Jays have signed at the moment they signed him? Um, I think it's probably... Either him, Russell Martin, or A.G. Burnett. And then the next tier would probably be like B.J. Ryan, Frank Thomas, and the great Melky Cabrera below that. <laughs> they're, they're that worked really out better than we thought. 
there haven't been a lot of elite free agent signings, so, so the list is pretty small. But I think it's probably still Martin because he was, you know, an elite catcher, and it was, no, it was a massive coup when they got him. But I think Ryu was right there. Yeah, just just for the money and the years. Um, any any other names you want to throw in there, Nick? No, I think uh, I think the only thing I would quabble with is maybe I put maybe BJ Ryan up with with Burnett and Martin in terms of uh, how good he was when when he signed. Yeah, that's um, fair. I th- yeah. I, I, yeah, and he was awesome. So until he wasn't, <laughs> like like <laughs> so many relief pitchers. Okay, uh, this one interested you to answer, I believe, um, Josh J Blue at J underscore Blue twenty four asked um, maybe uh, talk about what the difference is if they had just extended Stroman. Yeah, I just want to briefly talk about this thing I keep seeing popping up where people are saying, well, you know, by trading Stroman, they saved the money that they used the money that could have gone to a Stroman extension and you know on Ryu and then got Kay and Woods Richardson. There's this weird assumption there that they couldn't have just signed Ryu while still having Strowman. And I don't really get that because as we've talked about, they have all this payroll room for the next couple of years and all this flexibility to extend Strowman if they had him. So I don't necessarily think that one is better than the other because the rotation with Ryu and Strowman would be pretty good. Why not beer and tacos? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Steak, tacos, uh, or lobster filled with tacos. <laughs> It's a turducken pie. Um, Jay Blue also asks, uh, prior to the Ryu signing, he was opposed to bringing EE back, but now he's all in on it as long as it's a one to two year term. Um, would it be worth taking at bats from Tellez? Uh I'll let you answer that, Nick. I think it's pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, Tellez has definitely struggled in what's now been an extended look in the major leagues. Uh, I don't necessarily think Edwin is the one person to look at. I think there's a lot of people out there. Uh, I think I mentioned him last week, but Domingo Santana is a pretty good hitter, uh, especially if you're kind of hiding him from outfield reps and just sticking him at DH. Uh, and I think there's a bunch of options kind of like him where the Jays can kind of get creative and not break the bank and still get an effective hitter to kind of fit into that first base DH mix. But because Edwin is, he is a little older been getting hurt more often uh, he might not necessarily be i think the first choice as much as it would be fun to have a reunion with him but still just about anyone can take it bats from Tellez, and we're okay yeah that's very true kevin c Turan at kevin chase four would the jays be better served to go after ee or to rotate their position players in and out of that spot josh i i think that because of what Travis Shaw can do, which we talked about earlier, you can accomplish that even if you get a guy like Edwin or Santana or, well, Crone is off the board now, but or Eric Thames, basically someone who can play first base because you can just move that guy to first and have Shaw fill in elsewhere. So I don't, I think it's better to get the bat. Then a day off maybe for those, um, those guys is better than a day at DH, right? Yeah, so you could do both. And I, so I don't think it would hurt you. Okay. Now the big, the big stress question, the, the one where all, someone wanted to maybe rain a little bit on the parade that we're already having for Ryu. Ryu stubbornly has one of the most unorthodox, quote, training, unquote, regimes in the MLB, learned in part through years of what works for him and what doesn't. The Blue Jays' high performance department does not easily tolerate dissent. Are the two on a collision course? Josh. 
Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so he, uh, this Raps Leaf Jays also included a story which sort of outlined this, where Ryu doesn't throw between starts at all, or like, well, doesn't throw long, hard toss, doesn't throw bullpens. He does weird stuff in the steam room, the sauna, and extreme colds and heats. But essentially, there, this would have been discussed. <laughs> if, if he has some issue with his training and workout regime that he thinks works for him, I'm sure Scott Boras would mention it in the discussion that this is what he wants to do. The Blue Jays having this high performance department is not a secret. Everyone knows it exists. I'm sure they'd be like, hey, this is what this guy likes to do. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Here's the contract. <laughs> yeah, it's it's priced in to say um, to the contract. Fair enough. Uh, okay. Final thoughts from Nick. I, uh, I was talking about this a little bit, uh, on Twitter last week, and I'm curious to know what you guys think about this, but I, I was kind of at a loss. I was, um, thinking about all these kind of like backend pitchers the Jays seem to be accumulating and just kind of trying to think along with the front office as to why they seem to be so interested in targeting these kind of lower ceiling guys and one thought i had and i have no idea if they think anything close to this or or what but one thought i had was are they going to be using openers a lot this year and is that why they've been targeting these kind of like you know one and a half win pitchers uh so aggressively this off season um because it seems like there's a lot of you know kind of trent thornton's on the team and yeah so that's that's kind of my question to you is do you think we're going to see openers four times a week next year as no i think that the the guys that they got are the exact opposite they're really that, yeah i think they're the guys that can give you a good solid you know decent amount of innings and take the ball every fifth day like that's what these guys are known for and i mean not chase anderson was well chase anderson might be the exception but i think matt shoemaker and tanner you know like these guys are not i've never pitched like that i don't think tanner rourke signs here if he's going to be used in a bulk pitcher role as opposed to a starting pitcher interesting final thought i understand what you're saying and i actually think it could make some sense but i I would be surprised if it happened final thought from josh no more nickels kenjin ryu's contract is 20 million dollars each season (laughs) (laughs) i just want to quickly talk about that so when i had said that they could front load or they could do whatever to be creative it was more if the money got kind of stupid and they still wanted him. Like last year, I said it last year, last week. <laughs> I, Next week, I, I you said, can say that and be correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said that if it got to $100 million, they could they could be creative with it. Um, but the Jays have no money on their books this year. They have no money on their books next year. And the year after that, only Vlad and Biggio will be in year one of arbitration. And that's if they don't ever get sent down because Bichette won't be a Super 2 yet. There's no money for the next three years. They can afford this, and it's not going to hurt them from getting other players. My final thought. In case you were trying to decide whether you liked Hyunjin Ryu the person or not, um, the following comes from Eric Steven at Eric Steven on Twitter. Hyunjin Ryu's conditioning was questioned in his first Dodgers spring in 2013. His response was... The other players don't listen to what the trainers are saying. The trainers told us to run it in 35 seconds. Why are they running it in 26 seconds? I ran it in 35 seconds. End quote. 
Oh, so good. <laughs> I'm going to leave y'all with that, uh, which is to say that you were Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka. And I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been the Artificial Turf Wars podcast number 163. And we'll talk at you in a couple weeks. And happy holidays to everybody and happy new year. Indeed, indeed. Indeed.